morning, ain't it a great morning? I mean, it's almost perfect. Unless your tomato plant set out a little, a little tour, we're going to talk about that later. Hey, y'all, welcome to our garden party. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Gestalt Garden. I'm your host, horticulturist, Fellow Rushing, and uh, our producer is an awesome Java Chapman. We're going to have fun for the next hour or so. I'm going to give a special shout-out to those of you who listen by way of podcast. I know you're out there, and uh, we appreciate it, um, and from all over the country. It's a southern thing, though, so cut us some slack. Coming up today's mid-April, April showers version of this garden party, I'm going to give you a heads up on stuff you can be doing in your southern garden, share a really cheesy music selection, and uh, most importantly, we're live here at MPB. I'm going to be talking with you in real time about what's going on or not in your own garden. Sit back, folks. We're going to take a little bit of news and come back with this informal party we call the Gestalt Garden. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Okie doke, folks. Welcome back. Horticulture's fellow rushing. I'm the Gestalt Gardener here on Mississippi Public Broadcasting. We're going to be talking about gardening. If you want to give us a call, it's live. Toll free, one eight seven seven. MPB ring. Got some fun stuff to share with y'all. And before we get into phone calls, and we do have the lines open, you want to give us a call, one eight seven seven mpb ring uh, I've already uh, made quite a few presentations around the state, around the region, uh, garden clubs, master gardening groups, library talks. If you know of a group interested in having me come and do a fun and informative talk, shoot me an email here at garden at mpbonline.com. Dot org. Uh, there's some things going on this weekend. Uh, the first Earth Day was celebrated on April 22nd, 1970. 20 million Americans took to the street to demonstrate their concerns for making a safer environment. You can demonstrate your concern by planting some flowers and vegetables and herbs and something just for the butterflies and the bees and something for little children wandering up and down the street those who still wander up and down the street. Uh, anyway, this weekend, there's going to be a, uh, some, a couple of plant sales. The Adams County Master Gardener is going to have a plant sale down in, in Natchez. It's going to be at the Copiah Lincoln Community College Natchez campus. Look for the signs. They have all sorts of programs on using garden herbs and propagating plants and how to plant and all different kinds of plants for sale. A can of angel trumpets, crinums, things like that. You can't hardly find anywhere else. Um, also, there's going to be a uh, uh, open wood garden. Garden Clubs twenty this next weekend. Next weekend got some stuff. The Jackson Metro Master Gardeners having a huge plant sale. I mean it's a biggie. Saturday, April twenty eighth. Uh, Monel Gardens in Jackson from eight till noon. Get there early because they have a lot of cool plants and they go really really quick. Good good people. Good good plants. Monel Gardens. Jackson, Mississippi, Saturday, April 28th. Uh, I'm going to be downtown Laurel on the 28th uh, doing a fun thing. We're having a little uh, market-type thing. I'm going to do a stand-up on the back of my pickup truck or a tent or something something like that. But look forward to seeing y'all from down around Jones County and, and uh, the vicinity. Uh, also, the Vicksburg Openwood Garden Club having their 22nd annual plant sale Saturday, April 28th. It's going to be 8 till noon. Uh, on Fairways Drive, all sorts of stuff with Master Gardeners there. Got anything I can help promote? Email me here on this 420. We try to get all sorts of uh, things uh, worked in as best we can. Um, I've got a couple of other announcements. I want to give a shout-out to some folks, but um, let's just jump right in and talk with Wayne, caller from Jackson. Hey, Wayne, good morning. Hey. What's uh, up? Yeah, uh, how do you know when your lawn needs aerating, and how much good does it do? Uh, let me, 
backwards first. Uh, it helps a lot if you if you live in Jackson, you got clay, and uh, roots don't grow very deep in clay because they can't get air or water. It's either stays too wet, they can't. You know, they have to have both air and water. So aerating makes it where where air can get down deeper into the soil. Roots will grow there, and it has a pretty quick effect, Wayne. If you can aerate every three or four years or so, what happens is when you aerate it uh, over the next three or four or five weeks after that. Uh, grass grows roots down deep real, real quick. And even though those, clothes, those holes may snap shut again, the roots are still there. And as they die naturally, new roots will follow their pathway down. So it has a good long-lasting effect. Uh, you don't really have to do it um, if you water really, really well and then let it dry out completely. You know, if you water more than every week or two, you're going to have shallow roots no matter what. But if you water really good and deep, let it dry out completely before you soak again, roots are going to follow that air down. But anyway, now, what, what, what does you, uh, what does your lawn usually look like when you need to aerate it? Well, it, it, it uh, it's hard to say because most people in Jackson don't aerate their lawns, and you know there's a lot of variety. If you mow your here's my broken record bit: if you mow your grass high. It's going to have a deep root system. It's going to look good. If you cut it close, it's going to have a miserable time because uh, roots are made from leaf factories. So if you mow high, the, you know, the roots will make it down deep on their own. If you mow real close, aerating and watering and fertilizing, well, your grass is always going to look kind of thin and weak. Uh, no, okay, great. Yeah, no, number one, two, three, and four in having a good, uh, healthy lawn, the, by far the most important thing for good, deep, thick grass and root system Mow high. But okay, anyway, if, if you can rent an aerator, by the way, and do it every couple of three years, and not that it, it will help in the short run and a good long residual while afterwards. Okay, well, thank you. All right, appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Okay, now up to Horn Lake. Hey, Chris, good morning. Hey, good morning. What's, what's going on up in your neck of the woods? Are you Delta or Hills? Uh, I'm in Horn Lake, you mean? Yeah. Um, I, I didn't know that there was a distinction. I'm right by South Haven uh, yeah. in the Horn Lake, so I guess um, you know, so, I, I don't so, know. So, somewhere Which, between one that puts me in. Yeah, somewhere between uh, there and 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 uh, Tunica, the Delta starts. Oh, okay. Well, I'm just north of that. Then. Okay. Um, it was previously Nesbitt, but Horn Lake can't access. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, what's up? What can I help you with? So, um, my crepe myrtles um, have already started fl- uh, not flowering, but they've already started the leaves. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And I wanted to trim them back because they got they're real close to the house and they get into the gutters and such. Yeah. So, um, is it too late to go ahead and cut them after you, they started the leaves? The, because they bloom on new growth, you can prune crepe myrtles up until the first of September, and they'll still put out new growth and flower before fall. So there, you know, there's now some people are gonna holler at you. You know that, but it doesn't hurt the plant at all. Okay. Now, All right. I, I, I just felt like I missed my little window. No, no, uh, no, no. Crepe myrtles and roses, you can prune them uh, late winter, spring, summer, late summer, and they still bloom on new growth. Let me give you a quick tip, though. Rather than pruning them back uh, all the way over, unless you want to, you know, it's no, it doesn't hurt the crepe myrtles to prune them. But uh, what you might want to do is do what we call uh, directional pruning. The branches and limbs that are facing towards the house, cut them off flush with whatever they grew off of, no stubs, and then just leave the stuff growing up and out. And uh, as long as you don't leave stubs, the stuff you cut off won't sprout back out. And, uh, you know, you'll have a, in other words, cut off the stuff that's rubbing up against the house. Gotcha. Well, um, the the previous owner had obviously 
pruned it at, at a certain level where it developed the knots. Yeah. So do I cut it back to the knot? Yeah, I like that look. That's called pollarding. A lot of people are going to say they call it crepe murder. It's not crepe murder. It's called pollarding. <laughs> and it's a, and actually, there's a, some really good examples of it, including in Japanese Shinto temples at Shakespeare's house, you know, really uh, at the American Horticulture Society headquarters. Uh, but if you cut them back to those knots, they'll put out new growth and bloom just fine. I, I kind of okay. like the knots myself. Yeah, I, I was thinking about just cutting back to the knots, but okay. I just wanted to make sure. How long, how long does it take for them to uh, not look, look, look like they're murdered then? Oh, it's going to take at least three or four weeks for the new growth to come out, but when it does, it's really going to jump. Okay. okay. Oh, so it accelerates the growth. Okay. Yeah. Now, now here's a word you need to know. It's P-O-L-L-A-R-D, pollard. That's the style of leaving those those knobs. That way, when somebody says you're a crepe murderer, look at them, Arch and I say pollard. Okay, and give <laughs> them that art. The, right so yeah, yeah. You you got to do the eyebrow thing though. You know, do the Steve do the Steve Colbert thing. Uh, he's got the he's got the talented <laughs> eyebrows. I don't know. Appreciate Fine it, Chris. Anytime, man. Thank you. All righty. Yep, pollarding. Some people call it crepe murder. It's not crepe murder. Pollarding has been done for centuries. It's still done all over the place. And if you don't like it, don't do it. Just don't do it. That's all. But if somebody else wants to do it, leave them alone. Uh, by the way, there's uh, uh, some some things going on right now. I mentioned last week that Neil Odenwald, who's a professor emeritus of landscape architecture at LSU, he's from Mississippi Delta. Uh, there's an Ira, a Louisiana iris named after him. This sort of a not quite purple and gold, which is LSU colors, but it's kind of a burgundy and gold. Anyway, it's in full bloom. Uh, Louisiana iris is a great, great plant, seriously overlooked in the landscape. Uh, I saw my first magnolia bloom of the season last week, but they're really starting to come on strong along the china berries. Uh, but uh, this past week, I went over to Texas, went to Texas, to Houston, drove up, visited my old friend Michael Shoup, who owns an antique rose emporium, stayed with him and, and Gene in their, their house overlooking the valley right across the river from Texas A&M University. Uh, but anyway, the Texas blue bonnets are in full bloom. Uh, they're, you know, they're, they're starting to peter out in the Houston area, but they're on up towards Waco and Dallas. They're looking fantastic. So if you want to do the Texas wildflower thing, it's going to take you five or six hours to get there, but somewhere... Once the trees start petering out, you get out towards Dallas uh, for, or down towards Waco and College Station. They're knocked out. The the uh, Blue Bonnets, Indian Paintbrush, Mexican Primrose, which does well for us. We have more uh, luck here with the Mexican Primrose, those big pink, pinkish white flowers you see along the roadsides. Um, and also... Um, uh, Coreopsis, our uh, official state wildflower. They look really, really good. Uh, anyway, while I was at Andy, Antique Rose Report, I, I snagged a new rose for my garden, and I planted it yesterday, and it's still blooming. Uh, but I wanted to mention this. If you love old roses, the way they look, the way they grow, the way they smell, if you get a chance any time at all over the next two or three weeks or a month or so, and you're near Jackson, go downtown Jackson, just north of the state capitol, uh, one block north is an old cemetery, 1820s cemetery called Greenwood Cemetery. The roses there are in full bloom. It is in it is uh, almost intoxicating the fragrance. Wonderful old roses. Take some pictures. Make some plans to come back next fall and take a few cuttings. But if you like old roses, heirloom roses, uh, fragrant roses, shrub roses, pinks, yellows, whites, reds. Uh, there's all different kinds. You want to see what a rose is supposed to smell like? Greenwood Cemetery, just north of the state capitol block, 
downtown Jackson. And before we go to this next call, let me throw this out. I do want to... Uh, uh, to, to mention, there are four distinct white fragrances out there, white flower fragrances. Magnolias are blooming. You know what they smell like. Honeysuckle is blooming. Wow, that's nice. Ligustrum, which some people call privet, is getting real, real thick. It's almost cloying. And the Confederate or Star Jasmine. I got all those uh, in and around my own garden. They smell fantastic. And uh, this is the time of year to learn that there are different kinds of sweet fragrances. Uh, we got time to talk to Ann and Clinton before we take a break. Okay, let's go. Uh, good morning, Ann. How are you this morning? Good morning. I'm fine. Good. What's up? I uh, planted a bush, that I derelict bush that I bought at a hardware store mm-hmm. uh, about two years ago. Yes, um. Put out beautifully. It was supposed to be a blaze, uh, just a bush. Well, yesterday I went out front and had an opportunity to look things over, and I noticed there were two different blooms on that same bush. <laughs> Oops. That one of them the, 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 is, is uh, on a runner, you know, the thick cane with the stickers on it. Right. The other's on the little bush. Yeah, this is a rose bush, right? This is a what? It's a rose, right? A type of rose? Yeah. Okay. Here's what's happening, Ann. Uh, the the top part is grafted. The the, the one that you bought that with the little flowers. That's a grafted uh, one, and that's the one that most people like. But it's grafted onto the roots of a kind of a rambling type of rose, a red rose, probably going to be red. So what's happening is that long, thorny stuff is coming out below the graft. And what I do is I go out and I snip it off right close where it's growing, and uh, and that'll take care of that. And then the, the grafted oh, top part. Oh, what's on that? I, I tell you, that rambling thing is gorgeous. It's two different blooms. That... Well, you know, see, that's just it. Then what I do is I pretend like I got two different roses in one hole. Oh, that's you know? what I'm like, and that's what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> one, one rose is like a cup with... Petals in the middle of it, mm-hmm. and the run on the runner is just flashes out. Just leaves just go everywhere. It's absolutely gorgeous. Well, that's that's what they do. They graft a, a, a one kind of rose on the roots of another, and you got both of them. That is a lucky day, and lucky, lucky. Uh, I got one quick thing to tell you. I've had a, a magnolia that was not blooming, mm-hmm. and I got some leaves from a neighbor when she. Swept up hers, put them under mine. It's about two years, and I do believe I've got a magnolia at the very top of that tree right now. <laughs> it's waiting. You know, if you if you look at it too hard, it might fall off, Ann, so just well, ignore it. I'm not it. about that. I just told it <laughs> if it didn't bloom this year, it was coming down. Oh, yes, ma'am. <laughs> Thank you, Ann. We appreciate your call. <laughs> we could take a quick break. You know, Ann, if you, if you, I'm telling you, Magnolia, if you don't bloom, you're 86. You're out of here. Hey, we've got a, uh, a, a fun little interview coming up. We can take a real quick break. I'm horticulturist Felder Rushing. Trying my best not to be a horticulturist, trying to be a better gardener without all the stupid rules. But we're going to talk with a fellow who's doing something really unusual with what I call the people's vegetable. Take a real quick break here at Mississippi Public Broadcasting. We're a part of National Public Radio. We enjoy all the folks from all over the country tune in, but we're going to be talking something peculiarly southern when we come back. Horticulture's fell to rushing here on MPB. We'll be right back. Uh, having so much fun just getting dirty with y'all. Folks, welcome back. And by the way, let me throw this out. For those of you negative naysaying people who think that people who prune the criminals are bad people, I'm going to dare you to do something. Go to my blog, 
my blog is Felder Rushing Blog. Just Google it. And I've got an article on there about pruning crepe myrtles with some photographs of some that are very, very artistically done all over the world with an explanation of what pollarding is. So if you're interested in that, go to felderrushing.blog. Um, we've got a caller on the line, but if, if Alan, if you'll hang on there, I got somebody I've never met before, but I wanted to chat with. I got an email from a friend of mine named Russell Studebaker from Tulsa, Oklahoma the other day, and he said, you need to get in touch with this fellow, and I did. His name is Chris Smith, and Chris is uh, living in North Carolina, and he's do- writing a book called In Defense of okra. Let's see if we got Chris on the line. Chris, are you here? I'm here. Nice to be here. Okay. First of all, I got to, you know, Chris Smith, you live in North Carolina, but you sound like you ain't around here, ain't from around here. What are you doing in North Carolina? What am I doing in North Carolina? Yeah. I, at, right now, I'm sitting in a hospital with my newborn. Yeah, Zoe, your new, big... new daughter, Zoe. <laughs> happy, happy my birthday. Daughter. Thank you. So, she was born yesterday, and it's very exciting. But in my other life, I'm, um, I have a lot of okra about to go into a field in North Carolina. Okay, you're you're growing okra. I I, I went to your website, uh, indefenseofokra.com, and you've started seeds of what? How many different kinds of okra are you growing, Chris? So, I, I have about 140 different varieties. <laughs> You gotta be out of your mind. You gotta be out of your mind, boy. <laughs> I am out of my mind, um, but but it's worth it. It's okra, right? It needs um, it needs a good champion, and it, it it's exciting and it's awesome. And I, I'm out of my mind, but it, in a good way is is the way I'm thinking about it. Well, you, I, I know you like to grow okra, which is, it sounds to me like you're 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 not from any. I happened we talked the other day. You're from Merseyside, which is sort of like the suburbs of Liverpool, right? Yeah, I'd give you that. It's it's the county uh, in which Liverpool exists. Used to be Lancashire, you know. There is some argument about that. There's, <laughs> no. a, there's a fuzzy border there. It is, anyway. But but I, you you married a southern gal and you ended up in North Carolina in a cool part just outside Asheville up in the mountains. Yep, that's where I am. It's beautiful out there. Yeah, well, um, why okra? Why okra? So, I, I think I'm drawn to the underdog. That's That's my theory. Uh, I hadn't come across okra until I moved to America, which was in, um, well, I I visited America in 2006, and that's when I first tasted okra. And I I don't know, it just has has a lot of lovers and a lot of fans and a lot of fanatics, but it also has a lot of people that just truly don't like it. And I I feel it's really undervalued. I I grow okra every year as an ornamental plant. I grow one of the burgundy varieties because it's pretty, it's tough, it's from Africa, it'll take the heat and drought and all that kind of stuff. And I found out if you cut those pods off, if you chop them up into pieces, fry them and put a lot of ketchup on them, they're pretty tasty. Ketchup will make everything taste good. You do everything but smoke it, though. Uh, you know, I've not tried smoking it, but I have done pretty much everything else. Oh, we got okra four four okra four twenty. Here we go. There we go. But uh, I mean, you do. Some people think it's slimy, but you you eat them raw, cooked, pickled, fermented, dried. I understand you even uh, uh, make flour and oil from the seeds. Yeah, and that that's the exciting thing. The, the pods, everyone knows you can eat the pods, and most people fry them. But there's tons of other ways to eat them. So, like you know, open your mind when it comes to eating the pods. But the plant itself, the whole plant is just incredible. The flowers are edible, the leaves are edible, and when you get into the seeds, I pressed it for an oil, which is just delicious, and you can then grind the roasted seeds for a flower, which takes on a real strong coffee aroma that carries through into, like, pie crust. 
and pizzas and I've made acorn seed, um, okra seeds, pancakes. It's, it's, there's just like so much, so much to explore when it comes to the other parts of the okra plant. I think you, you've even made paper from the stems. I have not yet made paper, but, but I have plans to make paper. Well, uh, it, I, I, on, your website, on, on your website, you say, as one old saying goes, I ate so much okra, I slipped out of bed. <laughs> that's that's well, not my quote. That's a quote from the 1930s that I haven't actually found who who said the quote, but it kind of like cropped up around just post-depression time. Well, I, I sent you a poster. I've got staple on the wall in my kitchen. I've got an old-style cabin, you know, it's an old, old southern you know, cottage, uh, shack style. And I staple posters on the wall in my kitchen. One that says, okra, the people's vegetable. I love it. I love it. It really was considered the poor man's vegetable because it would grow so abundantly in the South. But it was it was enjoyed across all stratas of, um, you know, economics and, and racial classes. But um, but that's, that's changed, which is pretty sad. It, it kind of fell out of favor as a vegetable in the... In the 1900s. I, I know in England they call it lady fingers. Ladies' fingers. I, I think in England the only real okra-eating tradition we have is um, Indian food. Is in Indian food, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, bindi, bindi, I, I think I can't. Anyway, you, I, want, I want to keep track of this because you just planted these things. And over the next uh, few months, I want to check in with you from time to find out how it's going. But you're planting all these different varieties. Why? So... With there being so much diversity within okra, I wanted to plant them all right next to each other. I'm not growing a lot of each variety. I'm only growing 10 to 12 plants, and I wanted to see them all alongside so that I could start getting into the varietal differences of them all because we just think okra, okra, okra. Everyone, you know, usually it's just Clemson spineless that you'll see at the farmer's market or in the supermarket, and I really wanted to get into some of these nuances. I, I work for a seed company in Asheville, So True Seed, and uh-huh. I, I guess I'm, I'm a bit of a seed geek hoarder. And once I started <laughs> looking into okra and all the differences, I was like, this is so underappreciated and under-celebrated. We'll see there's that. so much variety out there. I really wanted to get into this. This is a reason I want to talk to you, young man, because this is a gestalt, and it's, getting, it's scratching more than just uh, this, this cutting to the quick and really uh, peeling stuff up and looking at it. But, you know, I was in Ghana one time over in Africa, and I visited Cape University uh, outside Accra, and uh, they were doing research, and I've got some on the earliest producing okras, the latest producing okra. How many? What, what variety of okras? How many average number of pods per plant? Because when you're growing stuff for food, you want it to produce fast. You want it to produce a long time. You want it to produce a lot per plant. What are you looking for? What what kind of traits are you looking for when you compare these at the end? Are you just having fun with it? No, no, I'm 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 keeping pretty good records of it all, and and I'm looking for some of that standard stuff like people are interested in the tenderness of the pods and how how big the pods can get and stay tender and uh, average yields. I've got one variety from a guy in Oklahoma who's been breeding for like a couple of decades, uh, Clemson Spineless, but selectively he's been doing heavy branchiness and yield, and he's taking it from an average of like 20 to 30 pods per plant to hundreds of pods per plant. So definitely interested in the yield stuff, but also this, this other thing, like uh, no one's really ever looked at the leaves. You, the leaves are edible and tasty, and there's an African culture behind that, but it's never made it across to America. So which leaves taste good? Which ones are succulent? Which ones stay tender? Which ones aren't spiny? And trying to look at those 
other traits that have maybe not been appreciated yet. Well, this is what we're going to do. You're growing, growing these uh, on a sustainable farm outside of Asheville, North Carolina, and uh, we're going to follow you. I'm going to check back every few weeks, see what's happening with you and what I call the people's vegetables. But um, I got, I got. Uh, have you ever heard of switching okra? Switch. No, I haven't. Please tell me. <laughs> We've got some stuff to talk about, my friend. You never heard about switching okra, but that's right. I can tell from your scouser accent, you ain't from around <laughs> here. And we, we're going to figure it out, man. Listen, Chris, I appreciate it. You need to get back, hug your wife, hug little Zoe. And your other girl, what's her name? Uh, my other girl is Emily. She's three years old. You need to hug them. Hug them while you can, yeah. man. They're going to grow up too fast. We're going to talk with you, Chris, over the few weeks, find out how your okra, your... your okra. Yeah. Your your lady fingers, your your uh, bendy. That's right. And uh, and in the process, I want to teach you about switching okra. On one one last point on teaching me. Yeah. Like, I know I'm not from the south, and there's such a culinary <laughs> and growing tradition down here that maybe maybe it's not just you that could teach me some stuff. Maybe it's it's your listener base. <laughs> so I'm I'm very open. Uh, to one, having people like follow along and grow along with me, so why, other, everybody can be growing some of these varieties this year. They're not all rare varieties, but also just I, I'm looking for stories, I'm looking for seeds, I'm looking for personal experiences. Like I'm, I'm writing this book in defense of I, okra every day. Yeah, yeah, and and people can can follow you on your website, indefenseofokra.com, right? That would be awesome. Okay, remember hard fried tomato sauce. Tomato sauce. See you, Chris. Thank you so much. <laughs> you bet. Um, this is not, not this is humorous, but it's serious, folks. And we're going to be following this uh, as as uh, as Chris uh, does this. Uh, Chris Smith in defenseofokra.com. dot com. We got some callers on the line. Going to come back. We're going to uh, talk talk to one before we get into my cheesy music. But anyway, I want I want to thank Chris for yakking with me, even though he's up at the hospital with his new daughter. Alan, thank you for holding on. How are you, man? Okay, are we on the air? Yes, we are. Keep it clean. Yeah, I, I am, and I'm so glad that the tequila is working. The aunt, the lady who answered the phone, seemed so happy this morning. Okay, <laughs> so uh, what we've got? We we here in '99. Uh, we bought this acreage, and in the front of the property, there's an old pecan orchard, and it's. Eh, I'm going to estimate that the trees are all 60 years old. Uh-huh. So they're pretty big in diameter and stuff. And out of all those trees, there's one line of trees that are about four trees, which have a good yield of a good pecan occasionally. Mm. Right. So my question is, with with this uh, with these old trees, uh, and I've got tractors and implements, is there some kind of way that I can go up and down around this one line of trees, or perhaps all of them, and either run something like the turning plow or the disc to put enough lime and fertilizer around them to help them. Okay. And 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 that being said, I have a turning plow. Okay. I have a disc. Okay. Let, let, let's stop it right there. The answer is no, because they have real shallow roots. You put a disc on it, it's going to chop up a lot of roots. You can get root diseases. It is going to start rotting the roots. Trees going to start dying. And it's all because you're trying to help them. So you just need to to, to leave them alone and bro- mow fairly close and then broadcast an all-purpose fertilizer under the outer spread of the branches and beyond. In between them, you know, not necessarily up against the trunk, but a little bit of all-purpose fertilizer every two or three years is about all you can do. If you overdo that, you'll have all growth and no pecans. 
See, so let's let's talk, let's talk booger up the roots with the turning plow. Let's just fertilize them at least every three years or so. But every couple of three years will be fine. And okay. uh, it, let me throw this at Al. Pecans have typically, I was raised in pecan grove. They'll have a heavy crop, practically no crop, and then two okay crops. And then every three or four years it cycles. So if you get a real heavy production year one year, it weakens the trees enough where a lot of times they'll skip the next year. That That's kind of yeah. normal. Well, they've skipped a bunch of years now. Yeah, well, it, my wife's it, really, really okay, way down okay, on the pecan I, crop okay. now. I don't want to get into a treatise about this, but there are two different kinds of pecan trees. Some that shed their pollen before the male, before the female flowers are ready. Some the female flowers open before the male flowers per, shed their pollen. And if you have all the same kind of trees, there's only a little overlap between when pollen is being shed and the little female flowers are turning the nuts are receptive. And if it rains real heavy during that week, ain't going to have any pecans. See, so this is kind of the reason uh, commercial growers alternate rows of different varieties, make sure they always have some kind of crop. So if you've got all the same kind of variety, they all bloom at the same time, you get a heavy rain like we often do in, in, uh, down in Grand Bay, that's what's going to – it's nothing we can do about that. So anyway, the official recommendation is fertilize them and forget them. Okay. Well, that, that pretty much covers that. She has put about five or six – of the syrup mill pecans out there a couple of years ago, yeah. and they just uh, here probably about twenty thirty years when we die, they'll probably be producing. Uh, they can so, they they can even before them because they were grafted trees. They grafted mature wood onto the rootstock. So anyway, main thing is just enjoy it when you get them. Fertilize them every now and then. Forget about it and give her something else. You know, plant something else. Blueberries. Give her something else to play with. We we got the blueberries planted. Okay, man. Good luck on it. Alrighty, we're gonna do a real quick, short, cheesy tune by my the guy I was raised with before Pee Wee Herman, a guy named Captain Kangaroo, and I hope you enjoy this. We're gonna take a quick break, uh, come back with some phone calls here on Mississippi Public Broadcasting. I'm horticulturist Felder Rushing. This is the Gestalt Gardener. I hope you enjoy this little tune. The April showers may come your way. And where you see clouds upon the hills, you soon will see crowds of daffodils. So keep on looking for a bluebird and listening for his song whenever April showers come along. I have learned to smile when skies are gloomy. Smile no matter what my luck may bring. When I know that trouble's coming to me, here's the happy song I've learned to sing. Though April showers may come your way, they bring the flowers that bloom in May. So if it's raining, have no regrets, because it isn't raining rain, you know. It's raining violets. 
And where you see clouds upon the hills, you soon will see crowds of daffodils. So keep on looking for a bluebird and listening for his song whenever April showers Folks, welcome back. Horticulture's Fellow Russian. Hope you enjoyed that uh, interview. If you want to check out what he's doing at indefenseofokra.com, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, in their last caller, he talked about that nice lady who was, who was screening the calls. And that's Michelle McAdoo. She is uh, sweet, beautiful, and she sounds good on the telephone, but she also doesn't take any stuff off of me in Java. And we appreciate that, too, because, you know, we're just we're just old guys, you know, need jerk a knot in our neck every now and then. Give us a call, toll-free, 1-877-MPB-RING. Got the lines open other than Danny calling from Fulton. Hey, Danny, good morning. Hey, good morning, Felder. Thanks for holding. What's up? Yeah, about pear trees, you need, do you have to have two of them to produce fruit? Most of the time, there's a, there's a few out there that'll pollinate themselves. There's one called kefir that'll pollinate itself. There's one called orient. This uh, kefir is kind of a cooking pear, hard. Uh, uh, Orient is a more of a soft-eating pear. They'll pollinate themselves and others around them. But if you don't Orient. have one, if you don't have one of those, it'd be better to have two different varieties pretty close to each other. Okay, I think I've, there's one that's called a Pearson or a Parson. Is that is that familiar? I, it, no, I don't. You know, I, I can't keep track of all those things, Danny. Okay. So <laughs> Orient, though, huh? Yeah, shoot me an email though, and and uh, and, and with the name of it, and I do some. I, I've got. I work with a group called the Southern Fruit Fellowship. They're part of a North American fruit uh, uh, group. Uh, there's wow. one guy who grows like 30 different kinds of pears, not far from here, and he'll know if I don't. All right, man. Appreciate it. Okay. Good luck on it. Appreciate your call. All right, man. Okay, let's slide down to Loosedale. Hey, Jake, how are you this morning? Oh, I can't complain a whole lot. You know, you're you're down in the heart of Mississippi tea country. Did you know that? You know, there's a couple of old boys growing tea down there. You said tea. Tea, T E A, tea. Missis- now, see, that's what I was going to ask you about. How what? is it? How can we work in coffee in the South? You read my mind. Well, I did read it, but uh, I'm just you know, Loosedale. I think of Mississippi tea. Matter of fact, I'm gonna go down and visit those guys. They sent me. I've got some of their plants that they gave me. Uh, tea is a type of camellia, just like. What Aunt Mamie grows in her yard. But coffee coffee is a bean, though. It's a tropical plant. It'll freeze even in central Florida. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, it's made from the from the from the seeds of a you know, you could keep it pruned, but it's just hard to hard to, to grow enough coffee in a pot. Yeah. And I remember a couple of weeks ago you had gotten an email from a woman talking about the citrus growers and yeah. Blackman's Parish. Those are the Beck males. Yeah, okay, okay. And they and they got hit pretty hard this this past winter. Yeah, I'm good friends with Ricky Beckman. Okay, well, uh, I'd be I'd be curious to find out uh, if you if you're good friends with him. Uh, find out from him, either shoot me an email or call back. And let me know how his you know how his crop did because it was a really it was a deep sudden hard freeze. And I'd like to find out if he has anything uh, producing at all. And I'll email his email address too. Okay, man. Well, listen, hard to grow coffee. Got to keep it in a pot. It's going to take a long time, but you can grow tea on a bush out in your yard. You was from Grand Bay. Uh, what, who? You. Me? No, I'm from the Delta. Oh, okay, okay. 
Something about Grand Bay a while ago. So no, that, maybe... that, that we had a, had a caller from there. Oh, okay. All right, thank you. Okay, appreciate it. Thanks. We're going to take a f- phone call now from Gulfport down on the coast. Hey, Rebecca, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. What can I help you with? Well, I had an, uh, another question about pecan trees. Mm-hmm. We have eight pecan trees, and they're just spread out sort of over our yard. We've owned this property for... Um, seven years, and we have never gotten a crop of pecans off of them. No. Okay. Um, the, our neighbor lady, she insists on triple 13 all the time, um, and we actually have never fertilized them at all because we were going to get our dirt tested. That's through the extension office and all that, and we never have. Yeah. But um, what is, I heard you tell the other man, um, you know, just fertilize every three or so years. Yeah, this is based on research. You know, commercial growers fertilize every year, but they put incredibly small amounts out at a time. But if you recycle your, your leaves, you know, you mow the leaves in there, the fertilizer will recycle for, for three or four years or more. There are pecan trees out there that never been fertilized and produced well, but a little bit of fertilizer every now and then helps them, sometime in the spring. And uh, triple 13, triple 8, they're fine for these kind of things, but just don't do it every year. Uh, and you don't have to have your soil tested, by the way. Uh, we know that, that that plants need fertilizer every few years. So if you put out a little fertilizer under the, you know, all in between, I'm not, you know, not up on the trunk, but their roots grow every which way. And if you'll just put out a light amount of, of fertilizer, at least every three or four years, fertilizer grass, basically, uh, that's plenty for the trees, too. Okay. You know, and, 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 and see what happens. Okay, and let me remind you, Rebecca, a couple of things real quick. I I try not to get too much into horticulture, but again, I was raised in a fruit orchard. And uh, pecan trees, if they're all the same variety, it's likely that they shed their pollen either a little too late or a little too early for the female flowers that, that make the nuts. And if we get a lot of rain during that time, you know, that those little two or three or four days of overlap, you know, you, it's not just not going to, it just ain't going to happen. You know, something as simple as that. Also, too much fertilizer is worse than none at all, so don't overdo it. Okay. Good luck on all right. it. Thank all right. Thank you. You bet. Yeah. I don't want to get it. There's so much, you know, so many rules that it come across to me as kind of negative. Here's another one. Uh, if you've ever been on a pecan tree, any kind of tree, the dripping, you know, like rain dripping out of it, that's not trees leaking sap. That's bug do. Mites and aphids and and uh, leaf hoppers they suck sap out of the trees and if if there's enough aphids and spider mites and uh, on the pecan leaves where they defoliate early that cuts down on the production of hormones that help the flowers do better the next year so the the name of the game in pecan trees is to keep the leaves on the tree as long as possible and that's where just a little fertilizer really does help because they keep on putting on new leaves uh, even though the old ones are damaged by insects. You know, it sounds kind of negative, not trying to get into that, but if you want more information, horticulture detail, I mean, really crank down on the how-to or the, or the, of, the, of, of the science of gardening, shoot me an email because I, I can wax eloquent for page after page on the email where, meanwhile, here on while we're live, we got a scooter of Meridian and talk with Susan. Good morning, Susan. How are you today? Good. How about you? So far, so good. I have kind of a strange question. Bring it on. I was digging up my raised beds yesterday, Mm -hmm. and I had some big ant beds, you know, that I had put poison on and killed the ants during the winter. Yeah. 
But I noticed where the ant beds were, the soil is gray and it's hard and it's compacted. Mm -hmm. Do I need to treat my soil any special way because of all that stuff that the ants left? Well, it is, the stuff is is not that bad, but what happens is they super aerate and they bring stuff down deep. You know, they really churn it up. Matter of fact, you can almost plant tomatoes right in the old fire ant mound. What I would do, Sue, is to take a shovel full where the ants were and throw it to where their ants weren't. And then okay. a shovel from where they weren't and throw it to where they were. And it sort of That's just mix it I all did. together. Yep, did that. Yeah, are, okay. you, are you digging good and deep? I am, but it's in a raised bed, so I'm, you know... It, it's, it's pretty good soil. It's still good to get to bring, you know, if it sometimes raised bed can be too good and it dries out a lot in summer. What I like to do is go down beneath the bed and bring some of that clay and the, the, the real dirt up and mix it with the other stuff so it's partly raised and partly sunk. That way you'll have a lot deeper root system, not going to have to water as much this summer. Well, if you, that's good news yeah, because it, I do have to water a lot. Well, what's happening, you don't have a raised bed. You just get a big rectangular pot sitting on top of the ground. But if you'll dig down beneath it, you know, so it's partly sunk, partly raised, that's the ticket. Thanks so much. Okay, good. Well, great, great question, though, Susan. Appreciate your call. Bye-bye. Okay, let's go to Choctaw County. David, you know, you could be anywhere in Choctaw County. Nobody knows. Well, Felder, good morning. Can you hear me okay? So far, you're not so far out in the boondocks. Okay, well, I, I, I told the lady who answered the phone that um, I am in Choctaw County, but actually I live in Winston County, practice law in Madison County, but I'm on my way to Pontotoc County. I'm taking my young filly up to the Amish community for them to train her to pull a buggy. But Ooh. if it helps my credibility any, I'm a good friend of Jim Rosenblatt. I believe he would vouch for me. <laughs> okay. Dean the Jim. The of my call is uh, I, I heard the uh, conversation pertaining to the Becknells in Clackamans Parish. Uh-huh. Those those are my wife's kinfolks. She's, a, she's an aunt to Matt and... Uh, all the Becknells in that area, and we'll be seeing them at uh, at a wedding in early May. Well, I'll t- get a report from Matt on his uh, Pl- orange tree crop there in Plaquemines Parish, as well as the one over in Houston, Texas, and I'll send you an email with a good, thorough report. Please do. And then if you need more detail, maybe, uh, maybe Matt will call the show then. Well, speaking of detail, we need to get to the point of your call, David. Oh, well, because <laughs> I know it just ain't. I, I know it's not training your horse. Yes, you asked for a report <laughs> on the Becknell's uh, orange tree crop. The point of my call is I will provide that. That is great. Hey, listen, you're not going to train that 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 horse to drag your buggy all over Central Mississippi, are you? No, no. Uh, it'll 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 be confined to. Winston, Atala, Choctaw, and maybe a portion of Webster and Octavia Hall with the northern part of Leake County. And you doing? You going up there today? I'm on my way now. Good, because it's supposed uh, to rain I'll Sunday. Be sure and tell the folks there, the Amish people, that uh, you said hello to. Them. Uh, the Amish? Do they they do the radio thing or not? I don't remember. Absolutely not. They have no electricity, no running water. They strictly live uh, 
by by the fruits of their crop, and uh, no, uh, they pay no taxes, and they have no public utilities. Well, while you're up there, ask them something for me. How do they get heat out of that heater they keep selling that doesn't plug into the wall? I'll be sure and tell them. <laughs> ask them that. But but you know the strange part about it is, of course, it's a huge community. All of these politicians always put their uh, signs up along the intersections and the roads in the Amish community, and, of course, they don't vote. Yeah. Well, listen, David, we appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Good luck with your filly, and uh, look forward to hearing a report about the, about the citrus. Thank you so much. Horticulture's fell to rushing. This is the Gestalt Garden. Nur. <laughs> Here on Mississippi Public Broadcasting, you know, April flowers bring May showers or the other way around. But Sunday is supposed to rain. So this is a good time. Uh, my friend Robert's mama, who's in her 80s, told me that she's going to plant her, her flowers this week. And if it freezes, I'm going to have to come out and help her. Well, Miss Shivers, I'm planting stuff, too. going to try to get in the ground today and tomorrow so those April showers can bring good Mayflowers and vegetables and herbs. Again, horticulture's fell to rushing. This is the Gestalt Gardener here on Mississippi Public Broadcast, and we're going to come back and talk with the fella in Benton right after this. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. Welcome back, folks. Horticulture fellow Rush. You know, I, I guess I need to sort of apologize. Nobody said anything to me, but, you know, my mother's been dead all these years, and I swear she's standing behind me. She's going to smack me on the back of the head any minute if I don't straighten up. And that fella called with some good information, and I said, okay, fine, get to your point. He said, that was the point. <laughs> and I apologize because I just wasn't raised that way. Anyway, let's go up to Benton and talk to Billy. Hey, Billy, good morning. How you doing? I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> good deal. <laughs> What's Where's up? About mustard, I know you, there's a mustard you grow in your garden, a mustard that is a condiment. What does the one that the mustard you find in a jar to go in your hamburger look like, the plant? Huh. Or is the one? I don't know. I don't know. It might be made from the seed of the mustard plant. That is a good question, Billy. You know, all these years, and every now and then, hey, listen, see, hear this. That was me smacking my head. I don't know, and I will find out. Okay, well, I think anyway. Okay, appreciate it, Billy. <laughs> what? <laughs> Where does mustard come from? Where does mustard come from? I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, uh, I want to throw throw out a couple of things. And, and, and this is the time of year we're finally getting the soil. The rain is still a little cool. The temperature is still a little cool. But you can plant summer vegetables and herbs now fine. Uh, I would, if you want to plant something like squash, I go ahead and get that in as soon as possible because squash tend to get problems with insects. And the later you plant squash and corn, a few other things, the later you plant, the more likely they can have more problems with insects. Most of the people who garden in, in Europe, in Japan, in England, uh, where they garden earnestly, they use insect netting. 
They put these nets over the plants to keep bugs off. Squash, though, has to be pollinated by bees unless you're going to pollinate them by hand, which is a little kinky sounding, but it really works. Anyway, if you if you want to put off having a lot of insect problems, think about putting some insect netting. Uh, and by the way, let me throw this out. Uh, i got some friends who are vegetarians, and i got to tell you, they look like normal people. I mean, you got to rent to them. It's the law. But I've never heard a vegetarian walk down the street saying, mm-mm, is that squash I smell cooking? <laughs> you know, this end of this program can't come too quick because of Java. I'm getting a little rowdy here. I know, man. I don't, maybe it's just today. It's Friday. It's going to be a nice weekend, uh, except for Sunday. It's supposed to get a lot of rain, but I guess the plants will be happy. That's right. Well, I'm going to get out there and plant. And that always calms me down. I, I went out and I dug some dirt uh, yesterday, turned some over to plant my summer stuff. Uh, last year, it was pure clay. I added a little compost to it, added a little bark to it, dug it down. A shovel's depth half killed me. Uh, and I went out yesterday and turned it over. What was pure clay a year ago has got worms that are 9 and 10 inches long, big strapping, look like snakes. And we just had our fishing show yesterday. <laughs> well, these, these worms are too big for a hook. i got to tell you that. Yeah, they're too big for a hook. And uh, what I did was I fed my worms. I turned the dirt up, the clay over good and deep. One time, chopped up the big pieces, spread some compost, a little bark over it, dug it together like crackers and chili. Then I covered it with mulch, bark mulch. Then I dusted it with a little cottonseed meal. Soybean meal will do too, but soybean or cottonseed meal has got nitrogen. It helps the stuff break down, but also has protein, which bulks up the earthworms. And they have taken what used to be pure clay mixed with a little crumbly stuff into the creamiest, smoothest, easiest to dig, richest, can't wait to put some tomatoes and peppers in it type of dirt I've ever seen. All because I fed my worms. Sounds weird. It's not a horticultural thing. But from a garden's point of view, worms are your friend. But you I, did bring in a cheesy tune that was like, I eat worms. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to go out and eat some worms. That's right. And uh, by the way, if you've got a lot of worms, think about using a dull shovel. Because a dull shovel gives a worm sort of a fighting chance to slide to the bottom of the hole. <laughs> I'm, I'm horticulture's failed to rush. I need to go. I just need to get some coffee. The Gestalt Garden is production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. We call it Think Radio. I think it's Stink Radio today. My producer, the laid back for hard work and Java Chapman. Our phone greeter is the the the, 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 the sweetest sound and nicest, most polite, Michelle McAdoo. I'm your host, Phil to Rushing. I'm going to be thinking of all of y'all as we get out and do a little gardening trying to beat the rain Sunday. Uh, if you get a chance to take a kid out to a farmer's market or to a garden center, give them three or four or five dollars. Tell them to buy some stuff, some, some culinary herbs or a bulb or something because it's important for kids to learn how to do what we always sort of take for granted and that's to get dirty. I'm going to see y'all next week, same time, same place here on Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Have a good dirty weekend. Bye y'all. Thank you.